we want them to make that decision because we want them to read the floor and do it. Because if we give them a rule, it becomes scoutable. And to us, one of the key things about the offense is we could talk about it for the next six hours if we want to, and I can give you every single principle we run. It doesn't become scoutable. It will look different every single time you see it on the floor because we don't know what we're doing until we do it. So how is an opposing team going to know what we're doing? Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today is a re-release of our very first episode from August of 2020 with Yeshiva men's basketball head coach, Elliot Steinmetz. Coach Steinmetz once again has Yeshiva at the top of NCAA Division III basketball, and he was both brave and gracious in our first ever interview where we dove deep into Yeshiva's high-powered five-out motion offense. This podcast was also released with a full 25-minute voiceover breakdown of Yeshiva's offense, which you can see for free on both YouTube and Slapping Glass TV. If there's a coach in your life who may enjoy a borderline unhealthy amount of basketball coaching content, you can further enable this loved one with a gift card to Slapping Glass Plus this holiday season. Visit slappingglass.com and join our free newsletter for much more information on SG Plus today. And now, please enjoy our first ever episode with Coach Elliot Steinmetz. Coach, we're going to talk about a lot of like deep dive stuff with your offense and philosophies and stuff in particular, but just want to congratulate you on a fantastic year. You know, you guys were in the Sweet 16 before things got shut down because of COVID. You were named the Division Three Coach of the Year. So just congratulations on a fantastic season that was cut short, unfortunately. Thank you. Appreciate it. We want to dive right in to some of your offense and some of the philosophy. And I'm interested to hear how you would describe what type of offense you guys run. So, I mean, we're, we're running nothing too crazy. Uh, it's a pretty simple motion offense. Um, you know, I think if you uh, would go in and go back and, you know, YouTube old uh, Indiana Hoosiers basketball when Bobby Knight was coaching, uh, you know, Calvert Chaney, uh, you'd probably see a lot of uh, very similar things. You know, there's, there's probably a few tweaks here and there in terms, of, uh, in terms of what we do a little bit different than they do or they did. Um, but it is, uh, it is based off of the same concepts that, uh, that coach Knight was running back in Indiana. You say emotion, but it seems like it's more of an emphasis to get on the post rather than a dribble drive sort of motion offense. Right. So we try to stay off the dribble. It's, it's definitely much more of a passing game than it is a dribble game. It's funny with what we have, we, we can run it as a, as a five out. We can run it as a four, one and have one guy in the post. We can run it as a, as a three, two and have two guys in the post. We'll kind of shift it based on what our personnel is. Okay. Um, we've been lucky over the last two, three years where we've had probably two of the best post passers in division three basketball. And that has allowed us to kind of show it in more of a four, one, three, two, you know, kind of a set to start and then run our motion out of it. And yes, we, we have a major, major emphasis on, on getting post touches. Uh, it's one of the things we talk about, you know, every single practice, every game, you know, we have something that we'll, we'll say we want, you know, three and one or three and two in, in terms of post touches and, and, you know, ball reversals, where we'll want to make sure we're getting, you know, two to three ball reversals per possession, but we must, must, must get one to two post touches. And, you know, 
the uh, efficiency numbers that we've had for our offense have shown that when we do get those post touches, we, we really execute at a much, much higher level. When you get a post catch and a post touch, um, it, it seems like it's a place where you guys sort of then run the offense from out of the post where it's not so much you throw it into the post and he's going to go one-on-one to try to score, but you throw it to the post to get some sort of split action or cutting action on the backside. Is that one of the major emphasis with the post catch? It, it is. We, we feel that, um, you know, the, the attention goes there. It, it's very often what's accomplished if you watch at the D1 level or, or, or you know, a very, very athletic team with a, with a great ball handler, the attention they can, you know, bring on themselves with the ball, with a, with a dribble drive or, or some sort of a penetration, we're able to get that with a post-touch. So, you know, we, we, we happen to have an All-American in there the last three years, which, which doesn't hurt us. You know, and, and a kid who's been top three in the conference in scoring and then leading the conference in assists and rebounds for the last three years. So, you know, the ability to throw the ball in there and know that the entire defense is going to kind of shift their focus there it allows us to kind of create around it. It doesn't mean that if we were running the, you know, running things off of the wing or running things off of the baseline, we wouldn't be able to accomplish the same things that that's where the attention was drawn. But it happens to be that, you know, uh, we have a kid who had four triple doubles last year who's, who's sitting in the post. And it just, you know, the way we want to run things, we know that if we get the ball into that spot, things are going to open up. Do you have any rules? Like, do you, do you guys have a set of, when this happens, this happens. And when this happened, this happened. If so, what are they? So actually, I brought my notes. <laughs> okay. Good. But yes, we, 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 we don't, I wouldn't call them rules. I would, call, I would call them principles. One of the big things for us is we're, we're very much trusting our guys. You know, it's, it's very much about sitting back and, and allowing them. And if you, if you watch our games, and I, I get, sometimes I get criticized for this. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes I get applauded for it, but most times criticized. I, I sit during our games for the most part. I'm, I'm very, very calm. I just look at it that I have the best seat in the house. And you know, I, I kind of get to watch our guys go out and play and, and execute. And, you know, we put, we put in our work in, in practice for the most part and, you know, try to make sure our guys are prepared. And then, you know, with what we're running, we, we kind of trust them to go and be ball players. You know, it's, um, I, I can't get on the court and, and run this stuff for them. Obviously, they have to go and execute. So you, you're putting the ball in their hands. You want to, you know, put them in a position to succeed. But then you have to be comfortable that they're going to be able to kind of take it and go from there. So we, we give them principles to work off of. You know, I would say the, the most important thing for us is spacing. You know, we, we want to make sure our guys are somewhere around 15 to 17 feet apart, you know, certainly at the start of the offense and then even throughout as they shift around and as they move, we want them to, to maintain that spacing. You know, we don't set ball screens. And again, that's not a rule. It has been a principle over the years. We actually took it away last year because we have a, we have a six seven All American guard who can pretty much score anywhere on the court right now, and we didn't want to take away from him the opportunity, even at the end of the shot clock, to have another kid come and set a screen on the ball. It happened, I think, twice the entire season, and our guys kind of realized that they don't need it. You yeah. know, that we're so effective without it that they just they on their own really went away from it, even though, you know, we gave them, you know, they were begging for it before the season. And I, and I kept saying, we don't, we don't need it. We're scoring 85 points a game and shooting 52% from the field. But hey, if you want to have an option under the shot clock, you know, to, uh, to get a screen, no problem. And I think we, we actually ran it like two or three times early in the season. I think we scored on, you know, both times that we ran it. But I think they naturally just kind of went away from it. But in terms of the actual spacing, it's extremely key, and, and it, lead, it lends into where our screens get set. 
you know, obviously there's, uh, there's down screens, there's back screens, there's cross screens, there's fade screens, you know, there's, uh, there's nothing so fundamentally special about the types of screens that we're setting. We just spend a lot more time drilling them than probably most programs do. And we also spend a lot more time kind of just working on chemistry. So our basic rules for screening are if you're, if you're dealing with a down screen, then you're, then you're screening the man who's below you. If you're dealing with a back screen, then you're, you're screening the man who's outside of you. So we don't ever want our screens, you know, we, we'll, we'll talk in the middle of the game if we feel like things are starting to fall apart a little. One of the things you'll hear one of our coaches yelling is, hey guys, our screens right now are going middle in instead of middle out. If we feel like our guys are starting to bring the screens in towards the middle and screening for guys to come out as opposed to our screens kind of coming out and allowing guys to use the space that we've created by the basket, you know, for off the ball work. That's what a lot of times will lead to the, uh, to the congestion. In terms of other principles, we want guys holding the ball for a two count. You know, now this is something that actually Coach Knight, I don't think did. I, I, don't, I don't think they held for a two count. I don't think they want the defense to kind of have a chance to reset and, and, and all those things. We look at it as an opportunity for our guys to read the floor. So, you know, our, our passer gets a catch. We want him to hold for a two count. We want our screeners to then set their screens. Obviously, our cutters have to read those screens, you know, and they're reading the defender. And, you know, if it's a down, if it's a down screen, they have three or four options in terms of cutting. If it's a back screen, they have three or four options to what they want to do uh, for a cut. And it allows our passer, the two count, to kind of read those things. And then we always want to, you know, obviously fill open space. So, you know, very often that's the high post. We, we always want to make sure we can fill that high post. So, you know, when we, when we drill it three on three, there's really never um, – you're either you're either a passer or a screener or a cutter, right? So there's never that like empty guy who has nowhere to go. That's why we like once we kind of get it down, we like to go four on four a little bit. It allows us to force one guy to have nothing to do. Um, and in our offense, you can't stand still for more than two two seconds. So if you're that fourth guy and you don't have somebody to screen for and you're not getting a screen to cut and you don't have the ball in your hands as a as a passer, you now have to find somewhere to go. Uh, so we have, you know, we have obviously options for what our guys who don't have the ball or who have just passed the ball are able to do. And obviously, it's you can go screen for somebody, which comes out of the equation in that four-on-four four scenario. You can fill open space by cutting for the high post. You can replace yourself with a V cut um, and just make the defense move. You can shallow cut or you can you can basket cut, but you can't stand still. So, you know, I think that in general are, are kind of like the main principles. And then obviously you have the little fundamental things, you know, like calling somebody's name out and picking a fist up when you're setting a screen, making sure that your, your back is facing the ball on the down screen, your back is facing the basket on a back screen, you know, little things like that, that, you know, ideally kids should be learning, obviously, in, in grade school. But unfortunately, we find that, that most of them don't. But I think those are, are probably the, uh, the main principles. But... The one thing we'll talk all year is, is the real kind of philosophy behind it is, you know, where, whereas I would say 99% of the country is probably running ball screen offense. And in that sense, they're kind of bringing the action to the ball, right? They're constantly bringing the man to screen the ball. They're dribbling the ball. All those things are bringing action to where the ball is. We're always bringing the ball to the action. So our action is taking, taking place always away from the ball and then we'll bring the ball to that action as things start to develop. Coach, two follow-up questions. With your spacing, so are you stressing that they get to any spots or that it's just you always maintain the space 
between their teammates? It's really about the space between their teammates. Now, look, if you have guys who have certain skill sets, you'll want them more often than not flowing into different spots. So if we have, if we have, and we happen to have had post guys who can shoot, you know, so our, our, our two post guys, really are even our third who came off the bench, all of them shot 40% from three or close to it. So we really were able to kind of run it as a, as a five out sort of a system, even though it, it looked a little more like a four one or a three two, because we had, we had big guards who could all, who all, all footwork in the post. Uh, so we could run them through the post and take advantage of mismatches. And we had, bigs who could shoot so we could drag out, you know, other teams' bigs outside. It won't always be that way. So, you know, we will have times where we're going to want our, you know, our big, let's say, who can't step out and shoot a three to really be hanging much more around the post area, mid post area, high post area, and working off of that area. And obviously, you know, occasionally drifting out to go screen, but really kind of setting himself in there and just functioning within motion within that space that he can be a threat. And the same thing, if we'll have, you know, start to have some smaller guards, you know, we, we're going to probably want them to be a little more perimeter oriented unless they're obviously taking a back cut to the basket. Um, you know, but again, there's, there's a lot of space on the perimeter with which they can use to kind of float around and, and set their screens. Um, it happens to be in, you know, probably one of the reasons we were 29 and one is that we had five, you know, probably eight guys who could really do a little of everything. And that allowed us to kind of just shift guys in and out of spots and not have to say, hey, you're going to be in this spot most of the time. You're going to be looking for this spot. You're going to be running corner. You're going to be running, you know, it, it was really, hey, wherever you go, you know, it, we can kind of start from there. We, we had our, you know, our 6'6 six, six, uh, forward bringing up the ball half the time and our, and our point guard would go drop into the post because he's 6'7". So, I mean, was, our, yeah. our, biggest, our biggest guy in some of our lineups was our, was our point guard. That makes sense. And I'm assuming then this will apply to even when you're in transition, just run to your strengths more or less. Yeah. Yeah. We apply our motion principles to transition. You know, we do work on kind of running our guards to spots in transition, but you know, once we kind of get into the season, it's really about kind of filling that open spot and where you're going to be a threat. So yeah, in, in theory, we probably prefer our bigs rim run and our guards, you know, leak corner, but you know, I got, like I said, my point card six seven. He's dunking on everybody. You can go rim run too, as long as they communicate those things. You know, you know, you can't end up with two guys obviously running to the same spot. The other thing you mentioned was the two second on the catch. I mean, obviously, you'll hear a lot other coaches the zero second decisions or this point five. So, I mean, of course, when your players are open, you shoot it. But on any sort of like closeout situations, are you still telling them, you know, we since it's running a motion with the main, like you said, this the action off the ball. Are you still emphasizing let's hold the ball, let, let it develop, or is, if you can catch and rip and go? We're fine, right? If you can catch yeah. and rip and go, and we've re- if we've reversed the ball twice, right? We, we don't want a guy usually catching and ripping off of one or, one or two passes because the real beauty of what we're doing with, with motion is that we're, we always talk about we're, we're making help defense disappear. Uh, especially with the way we shoot the ball, we're making the help defense disappear because by the time we've rotated through and, and reversed the ball two times, They've had to go out and in so many times that there's, there's just sometimes, and you'll, you'll see it if you watch clips, there's times where we just get like a little curl cut and it, it almost looks like we're running practice. Like there's nobody there and it's just a wide open layup and it, it looks easy and it's not, but it, it just, it has that appearance because of the fact that, you know, by design, we've kind of drawn out the help defense. So for us, in, we don't want a guy 
you know, we, we don't want long drives, as we call them. We'll call them a long drive. So, you know, one of the issues we had with one of our, with a, one of our star players was as a freshman, he was used to beating everybody off the dribble in high school. And that's great. But in college, somebody's going to sit there and take a charge, mm-hmm. right? And, and somebody's going to be there who's 6'8 and, and might block your shot. Um, you know, and what we found is he'll put the ball on the floor from the top of the key and go. And more often than not, it was a turnover or, or a bad look. And when we got him to kind of come off of that and realize that he could get that same penetration off of a second ball reversal and all he'll need is one dribble to get to the basket or maybe two and there's no help and it becomes a dunk or an easy layup, it just changes the whole flow of the offense. And then you can make that decision and rip and go. You know, and again, we're definitely a transition first team. So obviously in transition, you're not holding for two count. We're looking to get up court. We apply our principles. We'll set a quick screen and we'll look for a quick bucket, especially, you know, with our shooters who can pull. Um, You know, we have no problem. I think we shot like 40 or 41% as a team from three this year. So we had no problem running up court and hitting the guy in an open spot and, and shooting a three, you know, without a two count, obviously. But once we're running the offense and we're trying to get the defense to break down, we want to get those two ball reversals in. And in order to do that, we're looking to get that two count. Once that happens, if you have a rip and a go, we're going. I'm interested in who's in charge, like on the floor, who would be in charge of when to screen for someone else or when you're getting a screen. So I'm a guard, I'm at the top. I reverse it to a wing. Am I in charge of setting a pin down screen or should I wait for a flare or who has that say um, in any of those actions and, or is it just, they need to learn to play together and figure it out. So for the most part, it's a read. So I'll tell you the, the one principle we try to throw in is if a guy reverses the ball, we want to reward him with a back screen. That's the one kind of principal thing. So if we have the ball on the right side of the court and that guy gets the ball and skips it or shoots it across uh, even through the top to the left side of the court and we're able to shift the defense, we automatically want to reward that guy with a back screen. Number one, we want to reward our guys for reversing the ball. Number two, the health defense just shifted out and we're probably getting a backdoor cut. So, you know, those, those two things kind of interplay. Other than that, it's a read. And, okay. and, and you know, so, so off the pass, our guys have options, and, and it's, it's a read. So off the pass, they can obviously go screen away. And, you know, if they have somewhere to go screen, then great. They can inside cut and go, and go replace space in, in a shallow corner if it's open space. They can replace themselves and just V-cut, and they can obviously cut bucket. And we want them to make that decision because we want them to read the floor and do it. Because if we give them a rule, it becomes scoutable. And to us, one of the, one of the key things about the offense is, we could talk about it for the next six hours if we want to, and I can give you every single principle we run. It's not, it doesn't become scoutable. It will look different every single time you see it on the floor because we don't know what we're doing until we do it. So how, how is an opposing team going to know what we're doing? So it, it is a read. It is definitely not a rule. And I think that's you know, by design and, not, and obviously helps us in a very big way. How about the end of shot clock situations or end of games where you need a bucket. Do you guys have any sets or do you have anything where you want certain actions to take place to try to get the ball to a certain spot? So we don't really have a lot of, um, a lot of set plays. What we've developed over the last two years or three years or so is from watching film of either practice or games and little things that developed out of motion that we liked, we'll pull that film, draw it up and use it. So, you know, for example, we have, uh, and, and even that stuff doesn't have rules to it. It can, it can end up different. So we have, we have a, little, uh, a little set we run when we want to go to something uh, for a bucket called Cali. It just, it happened one day. Like it just happened in a game. It was 
part of motion. It was a read that somebody made and it was just such an easy bucket that we kind of wa watching it on film and went back to it as one of my assistant coaches and went back to it. So, and he's like, Hey, we, we got to find a way to put this in. So we, you know, we showed it to our guys at a film session. We put it in into practice. We started working it and, you know, they started reading off of it in practice, you know, whether the big was going to come all the way through, stop short based on how the defense reads. And now all of a sudden they have a little set that has like four different options to it, but it's still in the context of motion. And the same thing with another one that we, that we called Shooter. We were literally in a practice. This was in the middle of last year. And, you know, one of our senior guards had just kind of run a – we had, we had our best shooter running down to kind of screen for one of our bigs. And it's almost like the, the, it's almost like the Steph Curry effect. And they run, a, they run so many things, the Warriors, off of just the fact that he's such a great shooter that mm -hmm. don't even involve him in the play, but it draws the defense. You know, they have that. We, we ran actually one of their things uh, one time in a big game. How would they call it? We, we called it Warrior just to name it after them. But it was they basically used um, Clay and Steph as their screeners. And everybody kind of jumps the shooter and then they get a little back door. But this had that same effect where our shooter went to screen and everybody kind of froze to look at him. And our other guard, our senior guard, just made a very brilliant curl cut around the screen that was taking place. So it became almost like he used, he used the screen that was happening as his own double screen and got a wide open layup. And we kind of just saw it happen in practice. We stopped practice. We pulled the film over from the, from the side of practice. We called the guys over and we're like, you see that cut that he just made uh, you know, on, on the iPad and we showed them and, and like, we're like, we're putting that in. It's called shooter. If you don't get it on the curl, we're going to have the shooter pop out here. We're going to have the big you know, cut to the high post. We used it the rest of the season as, a, as kind of like a little go-to in, in a big spot. But, you know, end of shot clock, honestly, we don't mind getting down to end of shot clock. So there's really not much we'll run at the end of shot clock other than continuing to run motion. You know, part of what it does for us is, you know, our belief is that you can't guard us for more than 20, 25 seconds anyway. If we're running motion, at some point you're going to break down. So we're having a, you know, trust in that, that we're going to get a shot that we need within those 30 seconds. With the post, after you throw it into the post, okay, maybe it's a skip pass or not necessarily a direct shot score. Do you stress, is it then his decision, he stays, or if he wants to leave, does he have to set a back screen to exit the post? Is there any sort of, not rule you would say, but right. some principle? So there's, like, like I said, right, there's, no, there's no rule, but what we like is our posts, we want them, like everybody else, to have a two count. If they get a catch and they get rid of the ball, great. If they don't get a catch, we usually want them to turn and try to go screen. If there's not, if we're having, if we have two posts, we want them to go and cross screen. If there's no second post, we usually will want them to go and back screen on the other side. Coach, going to practice and putting these things in now and putting these principles into place. How do you start building the foundational blocks to eventually? I mean, because if you got if you watch a game. For you guys, you know, the couple games in the NCAA tournament, I mean, you guys are just a machine and you were a machine, obviously, for most of the year. But um, how about early on? What do you do to start? You mentioned three on three, four on four, but where do you go? So you're going to laugh. This is the easiest offense you could possibly teach. Okay, so it, it, it seems very, very complicated when you watch it on film. And I get that. It's, you know, it, it took some convincing for me to even want to spend the time to learn it and understand it. And, and I frankly, still am. I, I still learn new things about it every single year. I still feel like I'm understanding it better. Like this conversation we're having now in depth could not have had with you two years ago. And we've been running this for four years. Um, you know, I, I was still trying to understand it myself and, and it was already, we were reaping the benefits of it and, and our guys were kind of in good places to, to succeed, but I still didn't even, you know, I would watch a film and I'd be like, I don't even understand why that worked. 
um, you know, and why it makes sense. And now I'm starting to get it obviously a little more each year, which is good. It takes us, I would say, maybe two, sometimes three practices to put in this office. That's it. So we go, you know, we start October 15. By October 18 or 19, this offense is in and we are done teaching. After that, it is all about reps and film work and chemistry. And, you know, it's about the breakdown drills. It's about getting, you know, we'll break down into, um, into screening and passing lines and, you know, with no defense. And we'll just have, you know, and sometimes no ball. And we'll have the screener, you know, properly V-cut, shift over, hold his hand up, call a name out, screen, hold, count out loud, one, two, while he's holding the screen. We'll have the, uh, the cutter read that screen, pretend there's a defender, make either a curl cut, a straight cut, a back cut, a, a fade cut, whatever he's doing, make his cut through. And then after the screener has his two count, he'll then react based on how the cutter ran through. So if the cutter went and you know, obviously curled, then the screener might fade. If the cutter straight cut to the ball, then the screener will, you know, roll to the basket or fade corner or whatever it is. And we'll run that, you know, in a a little bit of a two-on-o scenario with a ball, without a ball. We'll run it with two basketballs where both the, you know, basic rule of basketball, who's always open the screener. Uh, We want to make sure that guy's getting a touch, obviously, after he sends a set screen. So we'll run it with two basketballs where we'll do a little two-on-o with the passer, and always, you know, never a coach passing. We always want our players passing. We want them to learn to kind of read what our guys are doing, even in a two-on-oh scenario. We'll break it into a two, then we'll break it, bring it up into a kind of a two-on-two situation where we'll have some defense on there. Sometimes we'll go two-on-one where we'll just have a defender on the cutter. So we're learning to read the screens. And eventually we bring it up, obviously, into the three-on-three scenario. Uh, we'll keep it on one side of the court. We'll put a passer, again, a, 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 you know, one of the athletes on the other side of the court. We'll you know, have them only work off of one side of the floor, the three on three, but they have to reverse the ball. And then they have to hit that guy twice before they're allowed to actually take a shot. So again, just kind of building that concept, the ball reversal, you know, eventually we'll build it into the post touches as well. And then we'll work our way into that kind of four on four. We don't do a ton of five on five. We will, you know, you have to do it at some point, obviously, just to kind of continue to build the chemistry. Uh, But we spend most of our time on it really, you know, in the half court. And what we'll do is we'll, what I like to do is I like to do our five on five work in motion at the same time that we're doing our transition work. So we'll do, you know, uh, one of the drills I like to do is we'll do a five on O into five on five. So we'll have our, you know, five guys throw the ball off the backboard, take it, run down court in transition, you know, run, run a quick motion on the far side, obviously with no defense, and then have five guys waiting for them on the other side to come back and play defense. So kind of get a rep in on that side, you know, on, on one side with no defense and then come back and get a rep in with the defense on that side. How much are you guys working with passing then? Because obviously passing out of the post, I mean, how much are you are you doing drills or how are you teaching your guys to just make a, a correct flare pass or pass with, you know, the outside hand, the right hand, left hand? Yep. We start pretty much every practice with it. We'll run like a diamond passing drill, nothing too fancy, but we'll, we'll run it a lot and we'll, you know, we'll do like that star passing drill where you have, mm-hmm. you know, the guys are setting lines and star and they kind of follow the ball through and it hits different spots and then we'll reverse it, but we'll start throwing in extra basketballs. So we'll force them. They got to yell out names and all of a sudden I have video of it. I'll send it to you at some point if I can find it on my, on my phone, but we'll get up to like six or seven basketballs at a time where they're just flying all over the place. And these guys are like ducking under the ball and seeing where it's going and holding for a second. Nobody's in that on that side because the line got an even. So the guy dribbles through and goes and it, it just kind of builds the mentality of, you know, seeing what's going on on the floor, 
you know, reading where the guy you're passing the ball is, you know, is throwing a bounce pass when the other guy is throwing a, you know, a chest pass to you not know, have two basketballs hitting each other. We'll run that. We'll run it obviously close in within like the three point line. And we'll actually eventually spread it out and run it from, you know, like in a, in a big box or in a big star from like half court and in to, you know, kind of build on skip passes and everything else. But we, we definitely drill the passing, you know, I'll be honest, one of the, one of the numbers in terms of stats that we're trying to cut down on over the last couple of years is turnovers. And we've always found that when we are early in the season turning the ball over, we're usually not spending enough time on passing drills. Coach, you, you talked about, you know, at during games, you mostly will be you know seated on the bench and you look cool, calm and collected. Um, you let you guys make reads and all this. And the offense is very much about them kind of controlling the actions. But is there anything within the offense that's like a major pet peeve of yours that when you see it happening, you just jump up off the bench and you can't stand it? Yeah, it's, there's a couple of things. So <laughs> the, the, the first one is when we make a couple of shots, right? Then you know how it is. Right? You, you make, you make, what tends to happen in this offense is you get some good looks, right? You get some good looks early. And then you, you know, we, have good, we have really good shooters, so they make them. Now all of a sudden you think it's easy. So, you know, we go from, you know, let's say five possessions in a row where we're getting great shots and we make four of them. And then all of a sudden the next three possessions were like two passes and a shot or, you know, two passes and a drive. And we'll have to call timeout. And, hey, guys, was it not easy that we scored 10 points in the first three minutes, you know, on 85% shooting when we were reversing the ball and hitting the post? And now all of a sudden, because you saw the ball go in a couple of times, you think that you did something so amazing. You don't realize, you know, they're kids. So they don't, as much as they're college kids, they're still kids. They don't, they don't realize sometimes what got them there. And I think the key thing and the strength of this team that we had this year that we're talking about in terms of the, uh, the NCAA tournament was they realized it like halfway through the year, they were mature enough to kind of realize, and you know, look, we had, we had some seniors and we had really good leaders, but they started to realize that when things were easy, they were easy because they were executing the offense as opposed to because they're just good. Um, and what it allowed was that the more they executed, the better they got. So, so the, that's the first one is sometimes we'll make a few shots early, especially from three points. And I'll turn to an assistant coach and I'll be like, we're going to shoot ourselves into a hole here. Like that's what's going to happen. We're going to shoot ourselves into a hole because, you know, our guy's going to get a little cocky and they're going to start pulling and, and, you know, we're not going to be running our stuff. That's the one, that's one thing. The second thing that starts to happen, and this is more of, um, this is not necessarily a kind of shooting your way out of a game. This is, this is just more fundamentally and, and, and natural, I think, within the offense. Things start to kind of sag in. And we talked about it a little earlier in terms of you start to lose your spacing and your screens start to kind of, either they start to go, from like outside in where guys start to screen in instead of screening out or they don't come out high enough. Like we want our guys to always clear. We, we like to use the volleyball line, obviously in the gym that's under the basket. We call it the motion line. So we don't want any action under that line. We want to save that space for backdoor cuts. We want to save that space for dribble penetration. We want to kind of keep the, def- you know, the defenders outside of that space and then use it, you know, for cuts. But at the same time, we also have, the spacing that we want to have of 15 to 17, which requires that when you set a screen or make a cut that you recover outside the three point line, right? We don't want guys to make their cut or, or set a screen and then just kind of turn back into the middle. And then because what happens is you slowly start to kind of uh, constrict the offense into a smaller space. So we emphasize in, in practice, making sure that, you know, we'll run like a four on O drill where guys have to go screen across. We get a cutter, the cutter has to then go screen across the opposite side 
and then they have to recover. The drill doesn't end for that player. They don't go back on the line on the other side until they've recovered outside the three-point line looking for a pass. You know, so we want our guys to always recover outside that three-point line and keep that spacing uh, inside. And what happens over the, you know, over the course of the game very often is it starts to kind of constrict a little bit. And guys either start to set screens in or they don't, they don't recover out high enough. And then the screening just gets closer and closer and closer to the middle. And everyone's wondering why there's no space. So those, those are probably the two main things we have to kind of deal with in timeouts. How about defenses that give you the most fits? You know, I mean, obviously you guys didn't have a lot of fits this year with such a great season, but zones, switching defenses, trapping defenses. I mean, I know you guys have seen it all, but is there anything in particular that's been the hardest for you guys to kind of figure out? So I think early on, you know, we, we always love to see man-to-man, and I think it's unfortunately for other teams, it's very, very, it's necessary just because of the strength of our shooters over the, over the years. We've, we've had some really, really good shooters, and I, and I guess, you know, unless, unless you're Syracuse, you know, your zone is not necessarily uh, designed to take away outside shooting, uh, or at least that's the, that's the common thought. So we generally see mostly man-to-man, but we also, we also do thrive on it. We used to struggle with zone a little bit only because I think when these guys were a little bit younger and we were still learning it, myself included, we would struggle to kind of adapt the screening to the zone. And you, know, you get kind of like lost in that high school basketball world of just kind of shifting the ball, making the zone move side to side, but you don't get any kind of penetration, you don't get any kind of screens. When we started to get better at screening the zone, the zone actually became easier to handle than man-to-man. What's given us you know, some issues over the last couple of years, I would say, is, is probably some junk defenses. You know, we've had a couple of teams come out and throw either a box in one or, or a triangle in two. And it's not so much the fact that it throws us out of our motion as much as it's just kind of the, the change of pace of something that you haven't seen where you kind of have that you know, couple of minutes of panic. And then all of a sudden you're, you're in a game when you aren't and then things start to you know, become pressure. So you know, we've seen it over the last couple of years and, and it's caused us trouble for a few possessions here and there. The truth is, I mean, if you, if you ask me, I would love to see a junk defense every day of the week because our, our motion by principle would rip it apart. It's more the surprise factor of it that has hurt us than anything else. But we've over, you know, over the last couple of years, we've learned to really deal with it. And our guys have adapted much quicker to it you know, this year, certainly, than, you know, than they did the years before. But I think it's like anything else. I think if you have a team that has a good plan defensively and they have good players who can execute that plan, whatever you're running, you're going to struggle at certain points during the game. You know, we were lucky this year in that we didn't have a lot of those games where we struggled. I think we only had a couple of games that were under double digits, you know, but, uh, but those games were scary. We, uh, we almost lost our semifinal game in, our, in the conference. You know, we, we made a couple of big shots late where we just kind of struggled and fell into a rut and, and the other team got hot and, and you know, they were, running, they were running a little bit of junk here and there also and you know, kind of threw us off our game. But um, it, it's really about the maturity level. Like if you have mature guys, they'll adapt to anything in this offense. And, and if yeah. you don't, doesn't matter what you're on. Coach, you brought up, yeah, the maturity level of your guys. Do you think, I mean, does this offense, is it better suited for having, you know, guys that have been in the program for three to four years or your junior, senior heavy? I mean, if you're getting a class of, like, if you bring in a big class of freshmen, are you trying to maybe give them a little bit more rules or simplify the offense so they can maybe pick it up better rather than just releasing them to try to solve it on their own? Your experience, you know, with this offense, what have you found? So that's, a, that's actually a very good point. Um, 
I don't think it has to do with freshman versus senior as much as it had to do with bringing it into the program to start with. Um, so the first, let's say, two years we were running it, I think for all of us, coaches and players, it was like we were freshmen and sophomores running a new offense. As it starts to build, as our guys who were in it for the first two years became juniors and then this past year seniors, they become coaches on the court. So you know, one of our best players this year, who's the freshman of the year in the conference, kind of came into it this year and he just learned it so fast. It, it didn't matter that he was a freshman because he was out there playing with two seniors, a sophomore who had picked it up right away as a freshman the year before, and a junior who was an All-American who had also picked it up his first year, no problem. To me, it's just about the chemistry and the leadership. You can simplify it. You can actually run it, having it simplified for your freshmen and your sophomores, but more complicated for your juniors and your seniors who have been in it. And it naturally still fits because you can turn to you. Like, you know, I used to turn to our rookie of the year this year. I, I would literally turn to him beginning of the season. He's like a little bit trying to overthink things because he probably came from a high school where they were running, you know, 35 plays and, and doing different things. And I said to him, look, focus on two things, screening offensively, obviously defensively is yeah. a whole different story. We don't like to talk defense anyway, but uh, <laughs> offensively, I told him focus on two things screen and cut. That's all you have to worry about. You don't got to worry about dribbling the ball. You don't have to worry about, you know, uh, going in and, and taking jump shots and, and this and that. You focus on when you're supposed to screen, when you're supposed to cut. And I promise you, the other four guys will make you look great. And they did. It became a very, very simple thing. And then as he kind of got that, it expanded and he kind of was able to do more things. He started to understand when he could dribble penetrate, you know, and he's a big body and he's a strong kid and He's an athlete, so he started to understand when he could take his guy. By the end of the year, we had him in the post. He's, he's 6'1", but he was bullying guys in the post as a freshman by the end of the year, and you'll see it in, in some of the tournament film, actually. You know, we would drop him down there, and he started to understand those concepts throughout the course of the year. So it didn't matter that he was a freshman as much as that we had other guys who had been through it. And what will happen now is next year, we have a pretty good freshman class coming in, but we have two All-Americans back. We have the Rookie of the Year back. Um, you know, we have another, you know, another two guys who, um, who played major, major minutes. One was a starter. One was, uh, was our sixth man off the bench who are coming back next year. And our freshmen will have very, very simple, you know, introduction into motion. And as the year goes on, they'll have, you know, these guys to kind of make it a little more complicated and they'll learn it as they go. You mentioned about in the middle of our talk that you're still learning about the offense. You're still trying to find ways to grow. How are you still doing that? Are there specific coaches or specific tactics that you're watching in the offseason that you're trying to implement into your team's overall flow? So, so yeah, so there's two things. Num number one, I have a mentor who taught me this offense, who helped me with it, who I speak to pretty much daily. And we'll go through the same way we're going through film and, and talking it through. You know, he'll pick up clips and see things that I just don't see and kind of show me them and, and go through them with me. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of talk them out. If, you know, if I agree with him, if I don't agree with him, most of the time I do. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know I, I have a guy, so to speak, who I talk to, who, you know, really, you know, understands this offense. He's, you know, been around it for, you know, a very, very long time. I think he actually, I'm not mistaken, learned it from Coach Naitos at some point. So, um, you know, the opportunity to kind of have him to turn to and to, and to learn from, I think allows me every day to kind of continue to get better at this. And the other thing I do is I, I, you know, I watch film. 
you know, I'll go watch teams that are running similar stuff, even if they're not running the same exact thing. Guys who are running similar, you know, like uh, in Texas Tech is running a, a kind of mm-hmm. emotion offense as well. Obviously, in the, in the NBA, you got the Spurs and the Warriors who they're running somewhat similar kinds of stuff. And, you know, again, 24-second shot clock lends to different, you know, things that you have to do to get those shots off. But, uh, you know, you can find things within what they're running. It's, it's kind of about just trying to match what we have and finding somebody who's running something similar and seeing what they're doing. That's a little bit different that you can, you know, there's two ways to learn. You can learn things to do and you learn things that you don't want to do. And and both are equally important. I've over the years gone back and I'll go on YouTube and just, you know, Google old Calvert Chaney, uh, Bobby Knight games and find old Indiana games and just watch the game and watch what they're running and see where they made a mistake and try to recognize it for myself or see where they did something good and try to recognize it. And not so much to put things in because we kind of have what we're doing. It's to train myself to kind of see it on film so that I can then kind of help my players and say, you know, and see things better in the game. And then obviously after the game when I'm watching film so that I can, you know, help my guys either correct things or to give them a good focus on things that they're doing right. Thank you so much for listening to this repost of Coach Elliot Steinmetz. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, daily videos, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.